From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. So here we are in 2020, and the calendar is pretty much irrelevant. I mean, I, I've been spending the past couple of weeks just, you know, you know, obsessed with the midsummer NBA playoffs and the midsummer Stanley Cup playoffs, partly because the team of my youth, the New York Islanders, are making some noise in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Who knows when we'll see college football in the state of Idaho? Probably not in the year 2020, maybe sometime in the spring. So time doesn't matter anymore. So what better week to do a back-to-school slash legislative preview edition of Extra Credit? Because why not, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and that is the most uh, current topic, our, our biggest stories of the week. Uh, but the state's Second largest school district, Boise, went back to school virtually uh, on Monday, and a handful of districts and charters uh, have now opened in various forms and stages. And, and as we were talking about just before uh, we turned on the microphone, Kevin, it was really very much a shaky opening week amid the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah, it certainly feels uneven, and it feels like you know, kind of a rocky transition, but it, maybe that's to be expected because even when you think about a district like Boise that abandoned its plans to open in person uh, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, it was August 4th that the, the trustees voted to, to go with online learning for all 25,000 students. That, uh, that opening day came along on Monday uh, with, you know, parents kind of wrestling through the, you know, again, it's logged on, getting their kids working, getting through the, the kind of orientation process. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, it's a difficult uh, transition to make, and and I think one of the things that I'm I'm struck with, and as I wrote about it this week, it was tough to transition to online learning in March when schools had a week or two to do it. Well, it turns out it's tough to do it even in the in August when you've had the summer to think about the possibility or the potential that it's going to happen. It's it's tough, and you know we're watching other districts. We're waiting to see what West Ada winds up doing. It's uh, it's definitely a work in progress, and you know yeah, you know where it's going to be in a week or two or a month or two. Yeah, and and it has been difficult. And let's just go through. Some of the things that we've reported this week all throughout the spectrum, whether it's K-12 or higher education, but depending on where you are in the state, you've got entire football teams uh, that are in quarantine out of potential exposure for the coronavirus. You've got educators in quarantine before school is even resumed in their yeah, district. The in Idaho Falls pushing back hard against uh, that district's reopening plan. We learned uh, from University of Idaho President Scott Green, and we'll get into more of higher ed a little bit later, but we learned from Scott Green on Monday that we have at least five students on the University of Idaho's campus in a quarantine facility mm -hmm. um, who are on campus, who have tested positive. School hasn't even started yet. Uh, there were more than 40 uh, positive tests overall at University of Idaho. The vast majority, all but five of those, uh, have been able to... Um, get off campus to their home or apartment and isolate or quarantine. But we did learn on Monday that our colleges and universities have quarantine facilities on campus uh, for the inevitability at this point 
of when students test positive. And I suppose the only question will be, uh, do they have enough bed space? But let's just kind of get into before we really, uh, let's just get into what we've reported all across the state this week and kind of what we've seen, like little snippets, both at the K-12 and higher ed level, Kevin. Yeah, let's uh, let's look back a little bit to K-12 because a lot of the action has been there. Uh, as we mentioned, Boise starting uh, on Monday. You've well, got, you got thousands of students waiting for uh, for Chromebooks for their basically computing devices. And school started Monday and it's Friday, right? Right. And this is a story I felt like I really had to kind of sleuth out because this has been uh, kind of bubbling under the, the surface for a, a couple of weeks. The Boise District is hoping to go to a one-to-one -one learning model. And they've been trying to do this since, uh, since the spring. So in May, the district ordered... 13,000 Chromebooks. This is a $2.7 million order uh, with the idea of getting 13,000 Chromebooks so that every student will have a personal device. And yeah. that, you know, they'll have a stockpile in case, uh, in case some of the Chromebooks break down or get lost or what have you. None of those 13,000 Chromebooks have arrived in Boise as of Thursday, anyway, when I did the story. They could be arriving even as we record this podcast on Friday morning. Uh, the word is uh, that the district is expecting a literally a truckload of Chromebooks on Friday. They don't know how many, however. They don't know if it's the full 13,000. And they don't know how long it's going to take to process these hundreds and hundreds of, of Chromebooks to get them ready to deliver to students. So it's unclear when uh, kids will get these uh, Chromebooks in their hands and, and be able to start uh, doing schoolwork on them. And it's not just Boise. Um, West Ada is in a similar situation. They've got uh, thousands of Chromebooks on order. They've got a couple thousand uh, Chromebooks on order for staff so that the staff, the old staff Chromebooks can be passed on to students. It is a giant procurement process for the two largest districts in the state. And it's, you know, it's not unique to them. I mean, as I talked to the, the folks at the Boise district, they said that they're hearing from other districts around the country that are in, in even worse shape, that uh, they're hearing that it's going to be October before they get Chromebooks. Well, no kidding. I mean, you know, as districts across the country deal with the possibility or maybe the inevitability of having to go uh, online this, uh, this school year, Lots of schools trying to get their hands on devices to uh, to ease the you know e ease the online learning uh, process in, in at home. So it's it's a giant uh, it's a giant mess right now for Boise and West Data. It's a mess, Kevin. And as we learned, and I'm going to keep coming back to the State Board of Education meeting from Monday. But as we learned, the challenges associated with reopening, you know, predictably are not limited to the state's two largest districts, Boise and West Ada. Um, we heard Twin Falls Superintendent Brady Dickinson tell the State Board of Education that staffing concerns are a huge problem right now as they're preparing to go back. Uh, mm -hmm. Superintendent Dickinson said, quote, I'm losing staff, or at least they are trying to leave for a variety of reasons. The number of requests for leave of absence this year has skyrocketed. Um, you look at the small yeah, Lakeland. You know, because you know, last week uh, Kobe Dennis spoke to the Boise Metro Chamber, and I listened in into this, and he said Boise's got a pool of about 900 substitute teachers that they can tap into, but they're also having to do this kind of all hands on deck approach. Yeah, where you know, 
administrators may need to work in the classroom. You know, you know, you know, classified staff may have to fill in. You know, and he said, is it ideal? No. And Will it help us limp along while uh, teachers get well? Uh, yes, it'll help us limp along. So, you know, even for a large district like Boise, and I go back to that, you know, the computer procurement process is tough for a large district like Boise. It's got to be tough for small districts too. Staffing issues, if they're tough for Boise, got to be tough for small districts as well. Yeah. It, it's a big challenge uh, trying to get this school year started, whether you're trying to do it in person or online or hybrid. Huge, huge obstacles, even as we speak, even as the uh, as the school year begins. Yeah, we heard from Becky Meyer, the superintendent of the Lakeland School District up in North Idaho. Uh, superintendent Meyer said, quote, we do not have enough substitute teachers in any of our North Idaho districts. So that if a, that's a concern if we have to have a teacher who has to self-isolate. We know in the Valley View School District in Western Idaho, in, in, in Canyon County, uh, there's teachers in quarantine and a few teachers are going to miss the first day of school. Yeah, about a dozen teachers, if I remember the story correctly. Yeah, it's... We heard from Homedale Superintendent Rob Sauer, who said even the basics uh, can be in short supply. What, what Rob Sauer said is depending on what you need, good luck. For example, getting any Clorox wipes, those aren't even available. So it's something, whether it's devices, whether it's staffing concerns, whether it's basic essentials for the classroom, this is just... This is just yeah, a lot perfect. harder um, than it was made out to be. You know, all summer the mantra was, oh, we're going back in person. We're going to have a safe reopening. And, and here we're at the reality. And it's just a lot more difficult um, than – and maybe it's not surprising, but I, I think a lot of districts are surprised right now. Right. I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right. And, and this is what we heard all week. And this was the, the theme of our coverage this week was, you know, administrators saying that they are facing a lot of obstacles to, to the reopen. And one of the other things that came out, uh, story that we had Thursday night uh, from the West Ada School District, the tension between parents who want their kids back in school and teachers who are urging the trustees to go slow, to go online. It's just premature to try to get kids in school. That tension and trustees right in the middle of that debate, that's factoring into this whole discussion as well. And the West Data trustees will meet on Tuesday to decide what to do with the school year that's scheduled to begin on September 8th. You've got parents saying they want the schools open, period. Even though the Central District Health recommendations are not to open entirely, maybe not even to open at all, maybe to go completely online or at best to do some sort of a hybrid approach. You got parents saying, open the doors. We want kids back in school, back to normal. And you've got teachers saying, hold on, we, we'd love to do it. We want to be back in, in school too, but it's not safe. It's not time. Oh, we've got this. And the trustees have to figure out, you know, who, who do they listen to? And yeah. knowing that you're going to tick off a large constituency, no matter which way you go. Well, we've got this interesting dynamic where all summer the governor and the state board of education said the local school districts, the local school boards are going to be the ones coming up with their reopening plans. And that's where we're at right now. But you've got this backdrop that we've reported on for a couple of weeks now where depending on where you are, there's a handful of districts who are just outright going against the guidance from 
the public health districts that are assigning these classifications, basically this guidance, um, trying to determine the level of risk for transmission of the coronavirus. And so you've got a handful of districts in the red or even in the yellow, but you've got school boards in pockets that are saying, oh, we're just going to go ahead and, and, and reopen and ignore this guideline guidance. And so, you know, liability concerns could be in there, but you've got this whole political situation where even legislators say these experts are full of baloney. And you had Stephen Thane, the vice chair of the Senate Education Committee, say last week during a meeting about trying to look at school closure authority, you had him say, following the experts is an elitist approach, and he's concerned about an elitist approach and is worried that it leads to totalitarianism. And so that's a, a perspective that's very much out there in Idaho. But and, you've got, and you've got legislators wanting to strip the yeah. authority away from the health districts, the authority that they do have about ordering the closure of a school. Now, that may not come up in the special session next week, and we'll talk about the special session you know, later in this podcast, yeah. but that sentiment is still there. And even though it's not going to come up in the special session, you had Governor Little this week not reject that idea, yeah. say that there's some merit to the idea of turning the health districts into even more of an advisory body when it comes to, to school closure. You've created this political pressure where parents and patrons are expecting schools to open, you know, anticipating schools to open, pressuring schools to open. At the same time, you've got not just the health health experts, but you have the on-the-ground teachers in many cases saying, it's just not safe. We don't feel comfortable. We don't think it's safe for kids. You know, you've created a real political firestorm here over, over the issue of, of school reopening. There's so much pressure on the system right now. Uh, it's amazing. I've obviously never seen anything close to even like this at any point uh, in my life. But so many stresses on the system, so much political strife and disagreement, so many strong feelings. And yet the pandemic rages on despite the rhetoric and despite, you know, which camp you may sit in or what your views on and wearing a mask are, uh, the pandemic rages on, uh, you know, right, regardless. Right. And that's just the K-12 aspect yeah. of the school reopening. I mean, at the same time, you know, let's talk a little bit about the higher ed. Yeah, go for it. You've taken the lead on our higher ed coverage and, and you have... A, a big story from this week, and you have more planned next week. So let's get into higher ed. So the opening process at, at the higher ed level is already underway. Idaho State University opened its doors on Monday uh, to face-to-face -face learning in, you know, to a large degree. And all, all the uh, colleges and universities are doing a combination of some classes are face-to-face, -face, some are hybrid, some are completely online. Uh, most of the... Uh, the colleges like ISU are uh, planning to shut down face-to-face -face learning and think at, at the Thanksgiving break, uh, send students home for all of the holidays, for Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas, New Year's, and do the rest of that fall semester online exclusively. But all the universities and all the colleges hoping to open their doors to some level of face-to-face -face learning, hoping to open the residence halls, uh, hoping to have some semblance of campus normalcy. Even as we speak here on Friday, you've got students moving in to colleges and universities across the state. Boise State will open on Monday. U of I will open on Monday. 
you alluded to the, the positive cases that it had at U of I, percent based on their tests, but you know, there's still a number of students that are in quarantine and isolation. Yeah. Wednesday, open on Monday, they were going to have 100 rooms set aside for quarantine and isolation. Is that going to be enough when you factor in that you've got, you know, several thousand students who live on campus? It remains to be seen. You know, these next couple of weeks are going to be critical uh, on these college and university campuses based on what we've seen across the country and just based on what common sense will tell you. I mean, let's talk about ISU because they're the first ones out this year. Yeah. Like a lot of schools across the, the state, I think basically all of the colleges and universities, ISU is requiring uh, students and staff to wear masks. They're saying they're having pretty good compliance, that students are being pretty good about showing up for classes, wearing masks. Um, you know, maybe a couple of students here and there show up without a mask and, you know, they're, they're given a temporary mask, no problem, no pushback. But here we are, you know, we're, we're starting the school year uh, and you, you still have, you have thousands of students on a campus, in close quarters, how long will that, will, you know, will that, uh, you know, will those norms remain in place? How, how much, you know, will, will those habits stick? Yeah. Well, These next couple of weeks have been really critical. Yeah. Do students really adhere to these mask mandates? Do they really adhere to the wellness pledges that many of these colleges have put into place? Do they listen to the public awareness campaign kind of stuff that the, the colleges and universities are doing to urge students to wear masks so that the campuses can remain open? That's all well and good. You know, the colleges and universities are doing all the right things in terms of trying to get the word out and trying to get the message across. But, you know, Let's be real here. You know, you know, I, I went to college once. I know how, you know, 18 to 22 year olds can, you know, not always exercise the best judgment. Oh, sure. I mean, what's going to happen, you know, when they leave campus in the evening or on the weekends or go to events off campus? What's going to happen in a couple of weeks here over what's, Labor Day weekend? What's going to happen this weekend before classes begin to Boise State or U of I and these other, you know, uh, these other campuses? Do students, you know, continue to exercise uh, social distancing? Do they continue to do the right things? Do they avoid crowds? Do they right. wear masks? Yeah, or, or or not. And and if if not, well, we've seen what's happened at colleges across the country. You know, you know, abrupt shutdowns at, at places like the University of North Carolina, where a couple days into the fall semester. We can't continue face-to-face uh, -face learning. We've got to move everything online. These next couple of weeks are going to be critical. Yeah. If the Idaho institutions can get through these first couple of weeks, maybe things can continue, but it's, you know, what we've seen around the country. You know, it wouldn't be unprecedented for, uh, for schools in Idaho to have to, you know, make a very quick adjustment in the very near future. Now, I made a quick adjustment back in March, as everybody remembers, and I am hearing, you know, obviously more and more speculation about how long will it be before we go back to a, a virtual model, whether it's at the K-12 level or at the higher ed level. Um, you know, that remains to be seen, and, and we'll know here uh, before too long if they're able to remain open or if they're able to continue with, you know, kind of these hybrid models. I think Boise State is doing about 50% of its courses 
uh, with an in-person component and about 50% without. But again, Monday's State Board of Education meeting, we heard State Board member Kurt Liebich, and I think this was a 100% sincere effort on his part to wish Boise State President Dr. Marlene Trump a sincere bit of luck uh, with reopening, saying, I hope you can do it. I hope you can pull it off. We have a lot of faith in you. Uh, you know, no pressure or anything, but how you guys do at Boise State may well determine if we're able to have school at the K-12 level in our area this fall. And so there's a lot on the line um, and, and, and the stakes are high, but, you know, we're seeing despite the precautions that are in place, despite the planning, uh, despite how everything looked on paper, um, we're seeing where the rubber meets the road out in the real world. And as the public health districts suggested, there is still, depending on where you live, a high risk of transmission of the virus, particularly if you live in, you know, a county or an area with community spread. And we do know that every single county in Idaho, all 44 counties now have confirmed cases. And so we can no longer say, oh, there's pockets of the state where maybe the virus hasn't spread. Um, that's just not the reality. All in this together now as a state. I mean, every, every county in, in the state has been touched by coronavirus. And, you know, I understand what Kurt Liebig was saying the other day, and I think he's got a point, but it's a little bit different. You know, the, the setting on a college campus is going to be a little bit different than the setting in, at a public school. Oh, yeah. On, on the one hand, they're college students, they're, they're older, you know, they, you know, they can handle the, you know, guidelines of wearing a mask, social distancing. I mean, you're not have it's a world of difference between telling a kindergartner to wear a mask all day long and, and you know, expecting that behavior from, from a college student. Of yeah. course. But the college environment is the residency, the residency you know, component of it, where you've got people living together in close quarters, both dorms, in class. You've got dining halls, you've yeah. got classrooms that may or may not be a, a you know, you're trying to socially distance the classrooms. You're trying to move uh, classes into larger facilities. I get that, but it's still, it, it's still a community and a much more compact community, maybe, uh, and much more of a 24/7 community than you have at a at a public school. So, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work. How it's going to play out at, at the higher education level. Monday's a big day. It's opening day at Boise State and U of I, as I mentioned. We'll have full coverage. Um, if you're a if you're a parent, if you're a student, if you're listening to this podcast and uh, you want to weigh in, um, I'd like to talk to you. Get in touch with me. Uh, you can find my contact information at our website at idahoednews.org. Um, you know, shoot me an email, shoot me a message on Twitter uh, at Kevin Richard. Uh, I'd like to I'd like to hear from from parents and students. Uh, get get your voices uh, incorporated into into our first day coverage. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to have uh, some coverage out of the higher ed reopening. You're going to be speaking with some of the university presidents early in the week. And so you'll continue to cover the higher ed situation as it evolves, as we learn more, as, as the rest of our colleges and universities move forward with opening. But next week is also going to be a special week, particularly for me. Right, Kevin? Oh, yeah. It's going to be a very special session. They're all special in their own way, but uh, the legislature will be back in town bright and early Monday morning uh, for a special session, extraordinary session, whichever nomenclature you want to use. Um, 
It's official. It's going to happen. You've been tracking this process for the past several weeks, so uh, get us up to speed about what went down this week and what we expect to see starting Monday morning. Yeah, the governor, Governor Brad Little, after weeks of anticipation and then after like slow walking it curiously earlier in the week, don't know what that was about, uh, but after weeks of anticipation, made it official Wednesday, issuing the proclamation, convening the special session. It will start Monday morning at the State House. We know there are going to be two topics up for debate during the special session. The first one uh, is really going to affect uh, schools and school administrators, and it has to do with civil liability protection during a pandemic, during an emergency. This is a big deal. Uh, I don't think the debate will be limited to just schools. It could also touch on businesses and government. But for our school leaders in particular, it's a big deal because their insurance carriers have told them that if someone catches the coronavirus, catches the COVID-19 at a school, becomes ill, and then sues, the insurance carriers are not going to cover the cost for these school districts. And so they've asked for protection, immunity, uh, some sort of assurances that if they um, make good faith efforts, then they'll have some protection. Uh, That's one of the issues that will be up for debate. The second issue that will be up for debate is going to be some potential law changes around November's general election. Um, the Go- Governor Little has said that the county clerks have approached him and have some ideas for maybe some tools uh, that could be considered to improve the safety and security of November's general election, both for the voters going out, if they choose to go out and vote in person, or poll workers, uh, or additional steps that could be taken to safeguard our existing absentee uh, voting structure, which we have in Idaho that was utilized in the primary, uh, but absentee voting has been allowed in Idaho for years and years, uh, Mm -hmm. but it's just been more of a a focus this year. So those are the two issues that will be discussed under the Idaho Constitution. The legislature does not have power to take up any other issues other than those outlined specifically in the proclamation. And so that means... And we talked about it at the beginning of the show, but that means that school closure authority, despite the fact that legislators want to take action on that, will not be up for discussion, at least officially, next week. And can't be any bills introduced on that until at least the regular session, which isn't that far away. It's in January. Right. Uh, I will be... I think you alluded to, I think you're still going to have discussion about these issues, at least on the periphery, even though... You can't push a bill on the public health districts or on school finance issues. That doesn't prevent legislators from talking about it on the edges, talking about it from bringing it up in debate. Oh, yeah. You know, these issues aren't going to go away. And I think uh, when you bring 105 legislators together and you give them a podium, you know, who knows what they're going to say. And, you know, even on the two topics that they legislature is authorized to work on, you know, the elections and especially the civil liability issue. Who knows how that's going to play out? I'm really going to be interested in the civil liability issue because I'm I'm wondering how they're going to get something passed. Well, we were talking about this before we turned on the microphone and there could be a lot of disagreement over that issue in particular. Um, I followed a House and Senate Judiciary and Rules working group that sort of put out the 
initial liability proposal. They were back in action last Friday, a week ago today. They considered eight amendments already to that liability bill. A lot of those amendments are, are, are pardon me, some of those amendments were in conflict with each other. The discussion was just all over the map. You've got a handful of legislators that were frustrated that they had to, you know, basically work on this one proposal that they couldn't come up with something else. You've got maybe a more conservative wing of the House that has some concern and skepticism about the proposal on the table. You've got some Democrats that may have some concern. And we talked about if those two coalitions come together, it could be hard uh, to get a majority of votes in the House, at least initially. And so I don't, you know, I, I think generally when you think of a special session, there have only been four in the last 20 years. They're very rare in Idaho, but you think of maybe something short and sweet, and I just don't know how realistic, you know, are we going to be able to wrap it up Monday or or, or Tuesday? I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much consensus there is on this liability issue, and if we get into, you know, wild amendments and debate and radiator capping and um, procedural moves on the House floor, it just could be really uh, fascinating, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I mean... The session hasn't even convened yet, but we're already seeing some things that you don't see very often. I mean, you have the Idaho Freedom Foundation and the Idaho Education Association both opposing the civil liability legislation. Strange and allies. I, yeah, I, I, I'm racking my brains to try to think of the last time that the Freedom Foundation and the IAA have been on the same side of a major issue. It just doesn't happen very often. And what you may also see happen on the civil liability is if IAA continues to oppose the legislation you could have you don't see this very often we've seen it before we just don't see it uh, uh, you know all the time a disagreement within the education community within the education stakeholder groups because yeah. the school boards association and the administrators really want this civil liability bill they, they really want something passed especially the school administrators i mean this is a big priority for them so you may have the stakeholder groups uh, in in conflict on this, which you know, and then you know, we'll watch the committees and we'll watch the legislators to see where they come down, how they accept with this. I'm looking at the House, and you've got to get 36 votes to get something through the House. If you have conservatives locked in in opposition, and you have Democrats locked in in opposition, you got to find 36 votes from somewhere in the middle. There may not be enough middle to go around there. It's gonna be. A struggle to get something through the house. So, short and sweet legislative session, special session. I, I'll be surprised if it's that short and sweet. Yeah, I, I would say special is a good word. We don't know about short and sweet yet, but but yeah. certainly special is is a good way to describe it. Real quick, if you want to know what to expect Monday, uh, they're going to gavel in at 10 a.m. It could be more than one committee working at the same time. But a lot of it, I spoke with Representative Megan Blanksma, the House Caucus Chair. She's a member of leadership, and the Caucus Chair kind of acts like the uh, uh, the Legislative Chamber's spokesperson to the press, anyways. Um, and so I asked her about it. Legislators are going to be back at the State House in person. Uh, folks who want to follow any of the bills that are introduced or make public comment will be able to do that in person at the State House. They can testify in committee. Uh, if you just want to watch it, uh, you could go out and watch it in person, or you can watch the stream 
the streaming service has been available before, and I think they're going to add additional streaming rooms in the state house uh, to kind of help with the social distancing. I asked Representative Blanksma about the public health order in Ada County. Interestingly, obviously, Representative Blanksma is a member of Central District Health's Board of Health, and she has opposed some of the mask mandates. And I asked her, will legislators be required to wear masks inside the state house? And she said masks will be recommended when social distancing cannot be maintained. And they're also not going to, so that will deviate from the Ada County Public Health Order and also the gathering size, you know, just um, the gathering size limit from the public health order. It's a little bit confusing, but gatherings of 50 are outlawed or social gatherings of, of 10 or more are outlawed. Obviously, we've got 105 legislators plus support staff, plus any members of the public, committee chairs, attaches, anything like that, maybe any protesters who show up. So we're going to have well over 50 people in and around the state house on Monday. I will not be one of them. I will be covering it remotely, though, um, to kind of test out our ability to do that and give that a dry run ahead of the upcoming regular session. So my plan is at least to start with online coverage on Monday uh, and see if I can maintain that and see how long that goes. But a uh, little bit of a taste of, of maybe what to expect Monday. It, it, obviously, it's going to look and feel different uh, than a regular session, but I think some of the basic procedures uh, will feel similar, at least, if, if that makes sense, Kevin. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, and we've, we've seen these sessions before. I've covered a few special sessions. Um, you know, sometimes they go pretty smoothly. This one, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see. We'll be watching it from afar. We'll be ready to uh, jump in, uh, you know, go to the state house, uh, you know, uh, depending on what happens. So we'll have full coverage one way or the other. You'll be taking the lead on it on Monday, and we'll uh, we'll take it day by day as we go into next week because we know it's going to be a big week uh, between school openings, maybe school uh, re reopenings, uh, special session. It's it's going to be a full week. Yeah, it, we're going to get the uh, – it's good that you had a couple of days off last week because you're going to get the uh, the full experience here uh, over these next upcoming yeah. weeks. So. Yeah, a lot we're going to be watching for. As, as mentioned, the special session, uh, higher ed opening uh, Tuesday. Uh, the West Ada trustees will decide what to do with uh, their school year. They're meeting Tuesday night to decide whether to uh, open campuses, uh, open schools, or go online on September 8th. Also got a couple of school elections on Tuesday night, West Ada and Middleton School District going back before voters with supplemental levies that were voted down this spring. We'll uh, track those results. And that's just what we know of at this point. And we know there'll be more because it has been, uh, it's been a chaotic uh, summer and it's heading into a, a chaotic fall. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's everything that I wanted to get to this week in terms of all our top stories. Just uh, remind folks, there's stuff that we didn't get to this week and all our daily coverage is available online at the homepage. That's www.idahoednews.org. Um, we always have a lot of fun breaking down this intersection of education policy and education politics here on Extra Credit. We know that it's been kind of heavy material a lot lately and that there's a lot going on. So hang in there. Uh, we know there's a lot going on. We know that it's changing. We know that it may seem contradictory uh, or all over the place uh, at times, but we're doing our best to try to help navigate the latest of what's out there and where things stand with education. But anyways, hang in there. I'm Clark. 
I'm Kevin. Stay safe and have a good week.